From the power of voices in Los Angeles and heard around the world, welcome to Full Body Frequency, the show that celebrates everything full-bodied and fabulous. I'm Laura Rice, cultural curator, fashion designer, and your guide through the Full Body Frequency experience. This is the current through which we will explore the truths and explode the myths about the lives and loves of plus-size women. Since our lives shouldn't depend on how others see us, neither does this show. Today's episode is all about moving forward in life. Meg Burke is a recent graduate of the theater school at DePaul University. Armed with a Bachelor of Fine Arts in costume design, this curvy costumer is headed out into the real world. We'll talk about the perceptions of plus-size professionals in the entertainment industry and whether or not she wants or even could create a costume design practice around fat bodies. Growing up, Linda R.M. Jones's mother would often say to her, Beauty is as beauty does, and you've got a long way to go. In her new book, Cordelia and Me, The Pains, Challenges, and Journey of Becoming Me, Jones explores the revolution of self-discovery, self-love, and the love of others in spite of childhood wounds and abuse. Joining Full Body Frequency later in the show is fashion designer Courtney Washington. We'll talk about his unusual beginnings in the fashion industry, designing for plus-size women first, and later adding small sizes to his highly anticipated fashion collections. We'll also talk about why he relocated his manufacturing from New York City's Garment District to Kingston, Jamaica how he's revolutionized the game with one single fabric, and he'll even share his picks for this year's hottest spring and summer fashions. That and more when we return from this break. Stay tuned for more Full Body Frequency. Adopt U.S. Kids presents Multiple Choice Parenting. You've accidentally cut your daughter's bangs unevenly. Do you A, line things up a centimeter from her hairline, Man, oh man, oh man, oh man. No, 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 no. Sweatbands are so hot right now. Everyone's wearing them. Like that basketball player and that other basketball player. B, get spiritual. Mom, where did all the mirrors go? A reflection could never capture our true selves. Huh? Beauty is within. Um. C, look on the bright side. Less time blow drying, more time texting. Or D, show empathy. Mom, you really don't have to. Ta da! Twinsies. I kind of love it. (laughs) As a parent, there are no perfect answers. But you don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. Thousands of teens in foster care will love you just the same. For more information on how you can adopt, visit AdoptUSKids.org. A public service announcement from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, AdoptUSKids, and the Ad Council. Joining me now is Meg Burke. She is a recent graduate of the theater school at DePaul University one of the country's leading performing arts conservatories. While an undergrad, she worked as both a lead and assistant costume designer on a number of theatrical productions and independent films, including God's Ear, Joel Turner's Come and Gone, The Day John Henry Came to School, What Happened in Pinkville, Our Town, and Davina Nina. To top that off, she's a serious fashionista. Meg Burke, congratulations and welcome. Thank you. Hello. 
you are literally a few days past commencement. So how does it feel to be moving forward to uh, the rigors of academia, to the rigors of securing employment as a costumer in the highly competitive arts and entertainment world? It is exciting, and I'm still trying to process it all. I'm still, like, trying to be in the moment and understand, like, all the feelings I'm having. I still Mm. feel like I have something due, and I think that feeling is just um, finding a job really. (laughs) Um, Now, how's that going? It's it's going pretty well. I have a short job for the summer lined up as an assistant costume designer for Ohio Light Opera. And then I was just in LA last week trying to get a feel for how it is to work as a costumer in film and TV there. Um, And it was amazing to be welcomed kind of by all of the great designers that I was able to meet in my time understanding that like I might have a place like I gelled really well with the people I met and the environment I was in I felt connected to so it's exciting to like take the next step in life and get into it. (laughs) Well let's step back just a little bit and that is exciting Mm -hmm. but what was the beginning of your journey into costume design? Studied voice and like singing in high school and my voice teacher as a graduation guest gave me a costume history book because I always like wore funky outfits in high school and she just thought I would really enjoy that. And then that sat on my bookshelf for three years. (laughs) I lived in Germany and I went to community college and studied German. And then I realized I was really not enjoying that. And I went to the movies one day and it was a Angelica West film. She's a costume designer. It was Water for Elephants. And I was watching it and I was like, oh, you know what? I think I should do that. And then I looked at costume design schools and I saw the book on the shelf and that kind of like inspired me. And then I applied to schools and I mostly, I didn't really have any costume design experience. So I showed DePaul in my interview, my photography portfolio, because I took a lot of photos um, from that early part of my, my late teens and my early 20s. And that's kind of how I got in. She saw my eye in photography and thought it was really interesting and that allowed me to come to DePaul and study. And so it was just like I was a huge classic movie fan. I just like always tried to go to the movies as much as possible. And so it was really just seeing a really interesting design on screen and something clicked with me. And I remembered that book. And and so that's kind of why I finally chose this path. So passions become professions. They do. And a lot of it was like I was realizing I didn't love writing papers and I didn't love memorizing facts for tests. And I wanted Mm. to do something in life that was more like hands-on, was more fulfilling creatively than what I was doing with German. (laughs) (laughs) You do such a great job of expressing your own personal style. And we'll talk a little bit about this shortly. However... In the world of costume design, your work is guided by a writer's script, a director's vision, historical Mm -hmm. documentation, and research. But how much of your own creative imagination do you bring to the table, and how does this process unfold for you? Oh, I think a lot of it is you have to fill in the spaces from all the other um, sources. I'm inspired by the script, and I'm inspired by the director's vision, and communicating with the actors. I feel like a lot of it is my internal vision, I think, as well, you know, is being funneled in. I mean, it really all starts with, I read the script, and then I read it again, and that's when I have an emotional response the second time. Mm -hmm. Um, And I just try to, to get all the 
feelings that I'm having about it. And then I meet with the director and uh, we talk about their vision or their ideas or their reactions to the play. And I talk with the design team about how everyone else is approaching the, the project. And your creative inspiration, like that, those early parts of starting to design a show is some of my favorite, is like one of my favorite times because all throughout life, I feel like I'm looking at everything. Like right now I'm looking at these three different trees on the street and seeing all their different shades of green, always being attentive and observing. And during that time, my observation skills just switched to like whatever topic or whatever is the the truth or the matter in the in the work that I'm, I'm working on and so like it's just like a better tunnel vision to what I'm I'm looking at in the world so a lot of it is I read a lot of books if it's like a topic I don't know about or if there's like something being dealt with the story that I'm not familiar with I always try to learn as much about that what's going on socioeconomically during the time of the setting of the play doing character research and historical research if it's a history play or if it's creating a completely new world, that's interesting because you can really pull inspiration from so many different things to create something new. So I love to go to museums and find inspiration. A lot of reading, and I try not to do a lot of research on the internet because you're not quite sure if you're, what you're getting is facts. The internet is a great place to find new artists or artists that you're not really familiar with. Um, when I was designing Joe Turner's Come and Gone by August Wilson, I found these this artist, Tasha Grantham, and she had artistic shoes that she made, had all these drawings and symbols on the sole of them, and that really resonated for one of the characters in the play. And so, like, I got to talk to the actor about it on how he felt about walking in shoes similar to this or how that resonated with him. So it's just so many different sources. Let's talk now about productions and your favorite types. Mm-hmm. Contemporary, futuristic fantasy, period pieces, stage or film? I've done a few shorts and I really love designing for film. I don't feel like I know enough about it yet. You know, you don't know what you don't know. And so I'm I'm trying to learn as much like how to adjust my eyes because on stage I'm looking at a huge whole picture the whole time. A film script, you know, your cinematographer is pushing the person's perspective, the audience's perspective. So making sure I understand what the audience will be seeing and how the costumes relate to the frame has been what I've been trying to educate myself on in this last few months. It's not so much genre for me right now. I think I just love stories that are deep and deal with something that relates to what society needs to be hearing. I really love doing August Wilson, and that has probably been my most favorite thing to design because it not only challenged me as a designer, but as like a human. And mm-hmm. that is something I really grew from. So I just like doing work that helps me grow. Like it's fun to do something fun. And I think later in life, I'll probably only want to do like fun, not so heavy things. But right now I like doing things that are a little heavier or a little bit more emotionally challenged. I want to keep learning. I never want to stop learning. If you've just tuned in, you're listening to Full Body Frequency. To listen to this entire episode, check out Full Body Frequency on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. My guest this segment is Meg Burke, a costume designer whose work includes silk painting, mask making, and a variety of other costume crafts. 
Meg, you're a curvy girl. How much opportunity has there been for you to design costumes for plus size characters between your work at the university and outside projects the past four years? Not a lot, because I think there's so much pressure on performers to be look a certain way. And our American audience only wants to view certain kind of body types. So there hasn't been a ton, but I have been privileged enough to work with various body types, not necessarily mm-hmm. just curvy women, but like, you know, really tall, beautiful women that I'm not scared to put them in heels as long as they're comfortable with it. Women that aren't afraid of what they've got. And I think that has been a really a nice joy to work with and to see other empowered women that don't fit the mold, but in a different way than I don't fit the mold. Do you anticipate that this will change during the course of your career? And would you ever specialize in plus-size costume design? I do anticipate a change because I think our society is evolving. I think I would love to specialize in plus-size costume design because I would like to have a better understanding of the best way to dress a character that is plus-size because something in my personal life that I've like recently discovered is I'm no longer dressing myself to fix my body. Like I don't want clothes to fix anything because there's nothing wrong with my body. I'm just wearing clothes that make me feel good and make me feel like they fit my personality and they fit my soul. And, but with dressing a character, um, you've got to dress a character the same way as I think I dress myself. You've got to make sure they're being represented in the clothing because that's like where the character is born is with in a fitting room with the actor with the clothes a lot of it is making sure that if the character is hiding themselves or if they're like showing themselves off to the world you have to have that represented but you also have to cater to the actor and building a comfortable relationship with the actor because they are standing in front of a bunch of people or in front of a camera and they're being very vulnerable with their performance. So you have to make sure that that human is comfortable as well as the character is represented. I don't know if you can say you can specialize in plus size costume design because it's specializing in people and understanding what people are comfortable with and what they want to wear as their character and what you agree upon and what you collaborate with. So I would just love to be able to dress more body types than I have gotten the chance to. Gotcha. That is clear. (laughs) That's really clear. And that's really amazing to hear it from your perspective. While many plus-size fashionistas are rocking trends, whatever the fashion gods provide from Lane Bryant, Edition L, (laughs) Torrid, Evans, ASOS, etc., as I mentioned earlier, that you march the beat of your own fashion drum and literally raise the bar of the current embodiment of plus-size fashion. And I absolutely love and adore that. And I love and adore you for that. So describe again your sense of style and what influences it. I mean, you did mention that you no longer dress for your body type. Yes, it's a new development in my life. (laughs) So explain this to us and how can we get on board that train? Oh my gosh, I will try to explain it to you. I found a dress that I really liked, a cut of dress. It's like one of those little swing dresses with long sleeves, so it was comfortable and I could layer it really well. I bought that in like every color. I tried to like buy resale boots and just different colored tights, and I took this one really basic piece and just accessorized the hell out of it, pardon me. Just really (laughs) different jackets are really fun. 
Um, so that's what I was like doing in the winter. I found a dress that I was comfortable in because it hid certain things. I'm a big fan of dresses because I like to feel a breeze um, on my legs. <laughs> and it's summertime. It's hot. My grandfather was in World War II, and he was called Major Bill, and he had a little leather belt made with a huge belt buckle with a battleship on it. Mm. And so I've been wearing this belt around, like, really flowy cotton dresses, and I used to try to hide my tummy area, but now I'm just wearing it because this belt is really meaningful to me. And so I've been wearing other belts around my dresses, and it sounds so basic. I choose pieces that like call to me and I'm discovering what I mean as I'm saying it out loud. I'm wearing things that speak to my eye and speak to how I'm feeling. And so I'm not wearing those same swing dresses just because they're comfortable. I'm wearing things now that I feel are relating to how my spirit is. So I'm picking up hats that it's like if you had like a bald head and you're just going to wear hats all the time so no one knows. I'm only wearing hats now because I really love this straw hat, you know, um, the texture of it or something. So it's, I'm not choosing things to hide anything. I'm choosing them and picking them up because I love the color. I love the texture, the material. So, yeah, I think I'm just throwing the rules out the window about what you should do. And I'm just picking up and putting on the things that I find beautiful. Do we see and, a Meg Burke plus size fashion line in your future? I would love to do something like that, absolutely, because there's a lot of plus-size women in my family. Honestly, there's, like, plus-size for, like, 20 to 30-year-old women, and then there's, that's kind of funky and fresh, right? And then there's plus-size companies that are for what they think a 50- or 60-year-old woman wants to wear. But I can tell you, no 60-year-old woman wants to wear, like, an embroidered jean vest right now that has little flowers on it. There's so many floral prints everywhere in plus size fashion, and I don't understand it. There's not a plus size line that is kind of like, um, oh man, I just forgot the store, but it's, it's like a preppy line that um, you see mother daughters going into and shopping together. And there's not a plus size uh. store where I feel like mother daughters can go shopping together. Are you talking about or J. Father Crew? Sons. J. Crew. Yeah, yeah, yeah. J. Crew. J. Crew. Mm-hmm. Not that it has to be preppy, but I feel like there needs to be, there's like ageism almost in plus size fashion. I would like to make sure there's more things available to a wide range of women. I would love to do something like that. So Meg, we wish you nothing but success on this new journey of yours. And we look forward to hearing great things from you and about you in the future. Thank you so much, Laura, for your time. I really appreciate it. To check out Meg's style, visit the Full Body Frequency Facebook page. To learn about Meg's costume design work, visit MegBurkDesign.com. That's MegBurke, B-U-R-K-E, Design.com. Up next is Linda R.M. Jones, author of the newly released book, Cordelia and Me, The Pains, Challenges, and Journey of Becoming Me. Full Body Frequency returns after this quick break. I put on my headphones as I plan to escape. That's when I start seeing sounds, understanding the shapes. Because when life gets bananas in this planet of apes, I'm in my window like the nosy old man in the drapes. Cut it out like an unwanted hand in the safe. Through my blinds, every man glimpses and tamper with fate. Tune the world out, shift shade, phantom of space. Random thoughts on the canvas, hold your orbit in place. In my window, I keep it cracked open. 
just a little sort of wind blow to carry me to places I ain't never been like Indonesia. So at my leisure, I can float above the leaning tower of Pisa without a visa with this procedure. While out on instrumental, simmer down now. Heavy men will take me away. The cow gone route. Roam the mind of memory lost and found my grandchild in the future window waiting for a moment like now. In my window, I seen it all, y'all. Uh-huh. Yeah. I paint a new world in my window. I tune out. Yeah. World got me feeling like Malcolm. In my window. I climb inside, yeah. Gotta get away. In my window. I find peace of mind. Gotta find some time and space. In my window. I go inside. Most mother-daughter relationships are a complex, diverse union of love, judgment and opinion, respect and admiration, emulation, control and rebellion. Some mothers and daughters develop trusted friendships, others do not. Linda R.M. Jones and her mother fall into the latter category. And her new book, Cordelia and Me, The Pains, Challenges and Journey of Becoming Me, Readers travel with Jones through a childhood and early adulthood filled with trauma. At the point of no return, Linda is forced to either accept the destructive behavior that permeates her life or reject it in order to develop a loving relationship with herself, her daughter Shyla, and to get the love she deserves. Linda R.M. Jones, congratulations on your new book, Cordelia and Me, and welcome to Full Body Frequency. Thank you, and thank you for the opportunity to talk about my book with you today. Well, let's begin here. Your parents' marriage was one filled with abuse, mostly psychological in nature. You recently said that your parents played a game of Cold War with one another. Now, while your parents engaged in Cold War, you and your siblings played your own game, pitting one parent against the other to get what you wanted. Adding to that mix before fifth grade, you attended seven different schools in three cities and lived in eight to nine homes. Now, even though there were war games being played, what accounts for all of the games and all of the movement? Well, my father was in the Navy in the Second World War, probably because they may not have had enough money to pay rent. I have no idea why they moved so often, because my father always worked. When he lost a job, he got another job. He, normally, he was a, a brake mechanic, uh, a mechanic of some kind. Uh, if he had a car with a problem, he could fix it. So I'm not sure why we moved. Now, what about the games, though, that your parents played with one another and that you and your siblings played with each other against your parents? Well, my parents played Cold War. They would fume and fuss and glare at each other, and, and they had their, their little way of communicating and so you never heard of, you know, I never really, they weren't screaming, howling fights and throwing things and doing all that. But there was always hostility and animosity between the two of them. They were always angry at each other. And my little sister and I, who were the only ones left at that time at home, we all, we had our own way that we got around our parents. And, and we did play a game of who to ask first. And, mm-hmm. you know, depending on what you wanted. You knew who to ask if you wanted to go somewhere, and, you, and my mother would never say you could go. So we always asked her first because she would say no. And, of course, she did not understand that we played that. 
And so once she said no, we would just wait, and we'd tell our father, well, Mommy said we can't go. And he said, mm, okay. And then he'd just wait till she left, and he would say, let's go. We always knew if you needed some money, who to talk to. If you, if you wanted to go somewhere, you, you asked one person this, then you go and ask the other one, because they would never, ever agree. They would always make sure that whatever one said, the other would do the opposite. And that's, that's just the way they, they did that to each other constantly. But how did these games and movement, how did they impact your life, your sense of security and belonging, or, or did it? Well, I never felt that I belonged anywhere. I moved constantly. I mean, I usually was in a school for a year. I would meet one girl that I would know. Most of the girls I didn't get along with. I didn't know them. They didn't know me. And then I was gone. So outside of my cousins and my siblings when I was in West Virginia, when I left there at the age of almost nine, right before I turned nine, we all moved. Everybody left my hometown. And so when we moved to Ohio, there was no one there. I didn't have any relatives there. And I didn't know anybody, so I had spent my younger years hanging out with cousins and friends who'd been, you know, children of my mother's friends. And so we had a whole different way of living. And then I'm in the city, and I'm going from school to school, and I really don't know anybody. So instead of being an outgoing kid, I was very much uh, an introvert. I really stopped talking. I didn't do very much. I just sat around and read books. wasn't playing outside. I didn't see people. I didn't know people. I really became very much sort of like a recluse. I wasn't involved in anything but a book. With this, it would seem that you were extremely protected in your home. Ironically, in your mother's attempt to protect you and breathe virtue into you, nearly destroyed you. This protective measure literally encased you. So talk to us a little bit about that. And how did you begin to recognize her behavior and her words towards you as being abusive? Well, my mother had a favorite phrase that she would use as beauty is as beauty does and you have a long way to go. Sounds very simple, but every time you do anything or you think you do something or somebody says, oh, that's a nice job, her response would be beauty is as beauty does and beauty's got a long way to go. And you've got a real long way to go. And so mm. that was always her, her, her refrain. It didn't matter if I brought home a good grade, which I often didn't because I didn't pay attention in school. I mean, I brought home A's and B's and B's and C's, but I knew better. I mean, I knew better not bring home an F. My father would probably have killed me. But I never, ever had anything of my mother saying, you know, that's nice. I'm glad you did it. She was never a positive reinforcing person for me. So I didn't really have a lot of self-esteem. I spent a lot of time crying, trying to figure out, you know, what did I do wrong and why did I do it and how did I do it, and not knowing, you know, to do anything any differently or better. So a lot of the time that I spent from the age of 11 when I actually hit puberty till I left home at about 19, I usually was trying to get out of the house, go to a rehearsal, do something because I could get to a rehearsal. They, that was fine. I'd go to the theater and I'd come back home. But there wasn't, even if I did a show, there was nothing positive. I did a dance class, there wasn't anything positive. So basically my sense of self-security my self-image, I didn't really have a very good sense of that, of any of that. This is Laura Rice, and if you've just tuned in, you're listening to Full Body Frequency. My guest this segment is Linda R.M. Jones, the author of Cordelia and Me, The Pains, Challenges, and Journey of Becoming Me, which is available at Amazon.com. How much of your body image played in your mother's attempt to protect your virtue? All of it. 
my mother really, as I began to develop, when I hit 11 years of age, the world began to really change. Uh, she became very conscious of the fact that I was at this particular age. The first thing that happened uh, on the first day of my menstrual cycle, it was like trauma. I'd never heard of it, didn't know what it was, didn't know what she was screaming about. And outside of the screaming and hollering, her response was because the toilet backed up and everything overflowed. What did I do and why? Now the boy downstairs knew that I had a period. I'm like, mm. huh? I didn't even know what a period was. I'd never heard of it before. So I'm like, okay. And so it became, you know, this is all your fault. Now you're telling everybody what's going on. I didn't know what I had done or why or what the problem was because I hadn't told anybody anything. I'm trying to figure out what it is. Any woman who's ever, you know, when you get your first day of menstrual cycle, you're not quite prepared for whatever it is, no matter if they've told you anything. And in my case, nobody told me anything. Mm. So everything from there on was a, a whole world of movements where she is overly concerned about people seeing me, noticing me, talking to me, boys talking to me, men talking to me, um, anybody outside trying to have a conversation with me or influence me. She was determined that the outside world was not going to influence me. I was going to be this person that she wanted, and she was really focused on that. She wanted to make sure, in her mind, the way that she had interpreted the world is that other people made you who you were. Because she had experienced the result of that in her personal life. That's part of her story. So right. she was transferring her own, her own insecurity about what happened to her onto me and trying to make sure that I did not become this woman of loose morals, which was someone that she had experienced in her life. And right. I, I, was just, I, I was just not that person. I reminded her of, of this relative but I wasn't the relative, and although my father would try to alleviate some of that, her psychological stress was that the outside world is going to ruin my daughter. I'm not going to have it. It doesn't, didn't matter. I was only 125 pounds. How much can you attract people at 11, 12, 13, 125 pounds? Um, so I didn't have very much body, but that didn't matter. Dancing, movement. All of that was unacceptable to her simply because it attracted attention to my body. In some ways, it didn't matter about your size. It did matter about your shape. Yes. So your, what was your shape at that time? I was known as a Pepsi-Cola bottle. Okay. I, people, people would call me a Pepsi-Cola bottle, 34, 24, 36. Mm-hmm. And at that, at that period in history, that was very much a popular shape. Women had small waists. You know, and they had balanced bust lines and hips, and that was called the Pepsi-Cola bottle or Coca-Cola bottle, either way you look at it, because they made that bottle with the curve. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so that was a desirable shape, and women really tried to have that shape. Well, I didn't try, just, that was just what it was. Mm-hmm. And so because I had, I'm, generally I would have 10 inches, a 10-inch difference between my bust line, you know, and your waist, so there, there's always a sort of balance that you have going on. And that attracted attention. People would talk to me. I mean, I've had, even as a 13 or 14-year-old, I would have men come up and, and say hello and speak to me, and my mother would just go ballistic. I mean, you know, we could be somewhere in a store, 
and someone would say hi, and I would just say hello, and you're supposed to be polite to people. And that would just set her off on a whole tangent. Get away from my daughter. Don't speak to my daughter. And I'm and the man just said hi. I, I just spoke. Um, but it was the, the body was very much, in her mind, tantamount to what she had experienced in other women who were attractive. They flaunted it. And so she did not appreciate that. I mean, even until I was 40. I mean, I was in my 40s, and my mother still had the same response. Hold that thought real quick, because Mm -hmm. I want to go back to something you alluded to a little earlier. And we all know that no behavior ever exists in a vacuum. And so let's go back to there were a number of family secrets that guided your mother in the manifestation of her verbal abuse towards you. And not to give away every detail of the book, but share with our audience a bit about your mother and her sister, your Aunt Doris, and their relationship. And you've already explained a little bit about how it impacted you as a child, but how did it impact you as an adult? Well, as an adult... It took me a while. I eventually found out that my mother and my aunt had had this big traumatic episode and their conflict, and and the the conflict centered around my father. So I I knew of this. I finally heard about the conflict. And the entire conflict was really, for me, I simply did not know that it existed for years. But my mother was always upset by it, always angry about it. And even as an adult, she continued to compare me to my aunt, to look to see what I was doing and what, you know, was I like my aunt? Did I have loose morals? Did I not? You know, how did I make decisions? She was always, even until the fact that I married the second time, she came to my wedding, my second marriage, bringing me garments in order to tame my body because you have just Mm. too much body and you have to wear this and you have to do this. It is something that for her was always an issue of my physical appearance. I became very, very self-conscious. I'm still learning how not to be as self-conscious about how I physically look and how I'm physically shaped. And I've, I've trained myself to understand that even if I weigh 125 pounds, I'm still going to have a tiny waist and big hips. That's just my bone structure. Mm-hmm. Uh, my mm-hmm. shoulders and my hip bones are very wide. And I mean, I've, my doctors even told me that your hip bone sits way out here. You're not going to have like flat hips or nothing. You've got that kind of African shape. So I've had to learn to be very clear with myself. And sometimes I joke about it, but it is still at moments difficult. I'll find myself going to get dressed and I have a friend who I go to his boutique to get clothes, and he says, you can wear that. I said, no, this is a little too much. This is too tight, too snug. I can't put that on. I still, that is my challenge now to continue to work on the shadow of Cordelia because I still have moments when I go to get dressed, I'm like, oh, not wearing that. So there, there are still issues that I have with totally accepting that I have these, you know, big hips. As you move through your life, you found your you found Cordelia in you. Explain that to us, and not just about the the voices that you heard about taming your body or put put that girdle on or put that shaper on, but you internalize a lot of what your mother said to you, and it came out in different ways. 
I found myself, I guess, the, the most shocking when I was, um, after I was divorced the first time, I, I found raising my daughter. I have a son and a daughter, and my daughter was doing something. And I heard in my mind as I went to chastise her, I, my mind said, beauty is as beauty does, and beauty is only skin deep. And I froze. And I was like, oh, no, Cordelia, you do not live here. You don't live here. Mm-hmm. Get out. This is not your house. Because it was just such a phrase. She wasn't doing anything, you know, spectacular. She was just being a kid. But it was just the response that came through to me. And I I had to really eliminate Cordelia because there are things that you hear that come from your childhood and they're part of you. And, and unless you're paying attention, you don't always know that they're there and, and that you're carrying them around, uh, which is sometimes why we repeat the same behavior. How did you manage to stop yourself from repeating this pattern of abuse with with your own daughter? I mean, I have a lot of spiritual training that I do. I've done a lot of different things. I'm a follower of New Thought Teachings is what they generally call it. And I have gone through processes with myself because my intention, before I got divorced, my intention was to improve myself. I understood that I could not move ahead or get anywhere unless I worked on me. And so in that process, I taught dynamic thought and understood those principles. And so I would apply the disciplines to myself to eliminate things that were not for my highest good. Now that you've instilled a healthy dose of self-love into your daughter, Shyla, what's next for you? I'm not clear on what is actually next for me, where I'm going. I have two businesses that I'm, I'm running. I'm Jeunesse Global Independent Distributor, and I'm also part of Divi Social, and I have the book. So I have three avenues, and I'm not clear at this precise moment how I'm going to continue to develop. I do want to have speaking engagements. I promised 30 years ago that I would work with women who have been abused because I understand other sides of abuse, not Everybody talks about the physical, but there's a lot of mental and emotional abuse. I promised in a spiritual process that I went through that I would, in my future, talk with and work with women in terms of recognizing the other areas of abuse that we experience. So that is part of what this journey is about. It's really, hopefully, my book lets people think about, allows you and encourages you to reflect on the fact that abuse is not just the fact that you got knocked upside the head and, and you, know, you had to go to the emergency room and somebody's beating you. It is the other subtle things that we do and say to our children and that's done and said to us and that we repeat, which really affects that which is truly our soul. That is one of the things I hope I can do in this phase of my life. Wonderful. Well, Linda R.M. Jones, thank you so much for being with Full Body Frequency today. And thank you for inviting me and sharing this moment in my life with you, this time that I am exploring new avenues and sharing more of myself. And I'm so glad that I know you and that you invited me to this experience. Oh, you're so welcome. Now, to learn more about Linda R.M. Jones's story, including how she found the love of her life, to whom she's been married for over 26 years, make sure you order a copy of her book, Cordelia and Me, The Pains, Challenges, and Journey of Becoming Me, at Amazon.com. After this quick break, Full Body Frequency returns with clothing designer and the king of pucker, he'll explain, Courtney Washington. Stay tuned. 
And if you've just tuned in, you're listening to Full Body Frequency. I'm Laura Rice, and today we're talking about dressing your curves. Joining me now is fashion designer, artist, and global citizen, Courtney Washington. Courtney, thank you so much for joining me. You are welcome. Good day, all. So, Courtney, you have a really unusual story. You began your career designing for plus-size women, and this is a story that I absolutely love and adore. But then you eventually added smaller sizes to your ready-to-wear mix. Now you offer size 24 down to a size 4. Tell us about your journey. Well, the journey began as a kid um, um, in Jamaica, where I'm back now, manufacturing, where I did um, couture for larger women. Um, I pretty much designed and created their wardrobe. I did my journey. I journeyed to New York City in 1994-95 to enter Pratt Institute. I left Pratt and I went to FIT. While I was at FIT, I started my workroom. Then I opened the Fulton Street store. I opened Fulton Street in September 1998. And while creating collections for larger women, the, the demand grew for all sizes, and that's where I started doing sizes from 4 to 24. But I noticed that you went down. You, you did from the top to the bottom. <laughs> right, absolutely. So I'm really curious about your starting with the larger sizes. Was it a mm-hmm. matter of your interest, or was it an opportunity, or was it both? It just fell in. It's a demand. It's a demand that's ever, Laura. You know, it's, it's, it's just... It's a it, it's a smaller market from ever since I've known myself, you know, to be doing fashion to today. So so the challenge is always there to find great fitting clothing. The demand is actually still there for larger women to find great fitting clothing. You know, Absolutely. so I, I'm I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm not sure if it was luck. I'm not sure if it was. Yeah, but I did take the opportunity without knowing and realizing that I took an opportunity so great. Because the demand at that time, at a very tender age, was very overwhelming without having, you know, the full experience. All I had was a skill, and I was creating all these fabulous gowns and just fabulous pieces for women of size. It's when I recognized that I had a skill that was so advanced, I decided to migrate to New York City to attend college, and I did. So that was Pratt and the Fashion Institute of Technology in New York City. Yes. Great. So now a number of folks will immediately recognize your work when they see your, quote, trademark, unquote, fabric. Pucker was created just to have um, something different in the collection as the demand grew. 
So um, I created poker, I think, in 2001 or 2002. After the first season of designing in the poker group, the very next season, the very next spring, clients were asking for more, you know, that fabric. Back then, they called it that fabric. That fabric that they used last spring, summer. Do you have more of it? We want more of it. And then I had to do colors. At, at first, we started with black and white. Then we grew into, into oranges and apple greens. And it's just been a revolutionary um, experience, you know, using the pucker. And we're still using it to today. And, you know, it's really such a perfect complement to your use of silks and linens that you offer yes. as well. Mm-hmm, it is. It totally is. You can interchange. Um, you can mix. You can do because poly like poly um, in a sense. If you notice, I'm not saying polyester. Right. Because poly in a sense, <laughs> it has become such such a well used fiber now these days that you can do so much with it. At the same time, it blends in with other fibers so well. You know, when it's used in the way that we do it, at least, you can do your pocket jacket with your silk pants. You can do it with your linen pants. You can do it with your knit jersey pants. You know, you can do a lot with it. So it just keeps growing. It's almost seasonless as well. I mean, I wear it from spring through, uh, depending on what piece, through winter. Yes, it is. And with our clientele, also in the winter. So Mm -hmm. the pucker is what carries her through, you know. They say imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. And I've noticed a number Mm. of designers, you know, they're incorporating pucker into their designs. But, of course, I can always tell the Mm -hmm. difference between your designs and theirs. Talk a little bit about that. There are a few major designers that have used pucker. Of course, they use it for only one season. I was in Vegas, I believe, in 2000. Oh, my God. I was doing the magic conventions, I think, in... 2006 or seven, I think seven, I was doing the magic conventions. And I look, I was going through the W magazine and lo and behold, I saw George Armani in a winter coat in pucker, mm. you know, with a leather in a lining. And that's the first time I, I was flattered because it was absolutely fabulous. And, and when I look at the fabric, it was the exact texture detail I'm not sure what content, you know, they, you know, mix it with. But I do know that the leather was on the inner lining. But when they say fabulous, it was fabulous. But you have other designers like the Island Fisher House. They used it one season. Calvin Klein also did it one season. Yeah, it's been used by other designers. Well, you are certainly ahead of the curve, that's for sure. So given the way pucker molds to a woman's body, moves with our bodies, how it washes, dries, and travels so easily, each of your new pucker pieces is easily incorporated into one's existing Courtney Washington wardrobe. But I've heard a rumor that you may be giving up pucker. Is that true? Yes, I've tried. I've tried. I mean, like we're okay. Like we're in, we're manufacturing in Kingston, Jamaica now, and Jamaica is really, I mean, fashion, you know, fashion forward. I mean, this island is just like crazy for fashion, right? 
-hmm. So I'm using, here I use a lot of different textures. I do a lot of jerseys, printed jerseys, plain jerseys. I do a lot of um, silk linens and all that. But I just finished a trade show in New York for, for February. And 90% of the orders were what? Pucker. 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 Yes. Mm -hmm. So... <laughs> <laughs> So I guess that answers that question. Pucker is not over. You're not giving it up. Pucker is not over yet. I'm sorry to say even, but no. it's not over yet. So what I've done, Laura, I have created a division and I say, okay, this is the Pucker division. So I leave it there to just be itself and just continue to evolve. Well, thank you for that. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. So you're listening to Full Body Frequency. This is Laura Rice. And today I'm speaking with the one and only Courtney Washington, fashion designer and the king of pucker. He began his career designing for plus size women and later expanded his vision and collection to include small women. The Courtney Washington flagship store is still in Brooklyn, New York, and it's been there for about 20 years. But mm -hmm. a few years ago, you moved mm -hmm. your manufacturing operations from New York City's Garment District to your yes. home in Kingston, Jamaica. Yes. Why the move and, and what impact has your presence made on plus-size fashion in the Caribbean? My company was, was a part of the crash in 2008. Mm. So I closed operations. You know, we had a 10,000 square feet operating space, ground floor, 38th Street in Manhattan. So I had to close. So I closed that in 2008, end of 2008, and did a bit of travel throughout Asia, Africa, trying to figure out where the next plant was going to be. And I made, I made a visit to Jamaica during those travels. And I absolutely fell back in love with the island. I moved equipments and everything down in 2010, 2011. And, you know, we started manufacturing mid-2011. It's been great, actually. It's bring you know, like growing stage, create and manufacture here on the island. In terms of plus-size fashion in the Caribbean, how has your move impacted that? What does it look like for the future of plus-size fashion in the Caribbean? So the future is bright, really. Here on, on, on the island of Jamaica, we've opened a boutique where, yes, we service all sizes, but our main clientele are women of size. So you find that the, the demands for great, good-looking, well-fitting fashions are still there for women of size. And because of that, we do extremely well here. So the plan for the, you know, the very near future is to take the vision further into the Caribbean. Because yes, we manufacture and we export to boutiques throughout North America. But right now, we intend to expand it throughout the Caribbean with the collection. So, you know, so we can look out for that. This is Laura Rice, and I'm speaking with Kingston, Jamaica-based fashion designer Courtney Washington, whose beautiful, sensual, and chic clothes can be found on women sizes 24 down to size 4. Now, even though your clothing is uniquely timeless, the Courtney Washington mm -hmm. collection includes on-trend items each season. What are some of the on-trend goodies in your spring, uh -huh. summer 2016 collection? Oh, it's um, the spring summer 2016. is fabulous. We've incorporated a lot of linens into this season's collection. 
There is a canary yellow um, that's absolutely fabulous. Um, the new jerseys we have brought back again, and it's just to die for, really. I've done also a lot of black. I do love to create with the color black as much as I do love bright. You have seen, you have experienced my collections over the years, Laura. Absolutely. And you, the jewel tones is what I love to work in. It tends to last for a lifetime. But this season, we have a lot of black. We're doing rumpers. The CW rumpers are absolutely fabulous for our large women. Also jumpers. We have gone into doing jumpers for spring, summer. We have like color block skirts now oh. that, you know, yeah, with, you know, black blocked with white that, you know, you throw your top over it and you're out the door. Some pencil skirts that we're doing very fabulous in, in pieces. We also have a layered pant. It's layered, so it gives you that full, long flare effect, but it's actually a pant. So the pucker has totally been revolutionized for this season. So we're looking forward to a great, great spring summer. But really and truly, as I said before, although there are so many other different textures to the brand, the pucker just continues to be the larger demands. And I totally understand why that is. <laughs> Mm -hmm. I can testify. Mm -hmm. But sometimes in collections, not all of the pieces are available for plus size customers. So are most of the pieces or all of the pieces available for your plus size customers for spring and summer? With the Courtney Washington brand, all divisions are available for plus size women. All. Because remember, you're on the reason why you have me on this program, as you stated before, I started with plus size. So as you have also stated from from 24 to size four. So we start up and then we go down. And we also go beyond size 24. There's no limit to what the collection do as far as servicing a woman's wardrobe. If the demand or the request is there, you know, we do it. Yes, every division carries a plus size. And see, these are the reasons why we love and are devoted to Courtney Washington. Thank you. Moving from on-trend to must-haves, what items are staples in the Courtney Washington customer closet? I believe our dresses. Last season, our dresses grew in demand. And thus far, our, the requests for the dresses are there again. Also, our separates. And, and again, we're talking about the pucker. Our separates, the pencil skirts. I've done an awesome pencil skirts. We're also doing color blocking with the pucker. So, Courtney, what plus-size ladies or curvy girls would you like to dress? Maybe a celebrity or someone that you just haven't dressed before. Wow. <laughs> Laura, I must admit, I am not the designer that pays attention to celebrities. I, I do not. And sorry, I just do not. My, who have I not dressed that I would love to dress? I cannot even think, honestly, because we are so so busy every single day and every single department in my company is so caught up with so i've not paid attention to that so i cannot say which celebrity i would love to dress i'm just out i must tell you since i've been to jamaica i'm so zen um i create i mean i come to work like five six in the mornings mm. we have a boutique also separate and apart from the factory but most of my time is spent in the factory. And sometimes I just take my time and stop by the boutique and meet and greet some clients. But I do not pay attention to 
I have been out of media for so long. I'm, I'm not. I would be. I would not be the person to uh, to tell you who's the latest or the hottest on the celebrity in the red carpet at all. Well, you know what? We we actually appreciate that because that really? gives you more energy to focus creativity, yes. your creativity yes. on yes. the clothes, in which we absolutely love. Mm-hmm. So, for those of us who aren't in Brooklyn or Kingston, how can we purchase Courtney Washington? We're on Facebook, Courtney Washington JM. We do export every single day from Kingston. Our website this season coming up, we're hoping to have an online store, but our website is CourtneyWashingtonStore.com. We do not have an online store. However, you can also place orders through our Brooklyn store. The number there is 718-852-6899. And again, our Facebook page is Courtney Washington JM. Courtney, repeat that number again for your Brooklyn store. 718-852-6899. And I'm looking forward to wearing my Courtney Washington designs, especially my pucker designs this summer. This season, awesome. Thank you so much. You are welcome. One love from Kingston, Jamaica. Oh, one love from Chicago, Illinois. For more information on Courtney Washington and his timeless, chic, and on-trend designs, visit CourtneyWashingtonStore.com. That's CourtneyWashingtonStore.com. And as always, you can visit the Full Body Frequency Facebook page for more information and to see me in some of his designs. Stay tuned. We'll be right back with this week's Plus One. There are three simple rules in life. Number one, if you do not go after what you want, you'll never have it. Number two, if you do not ask, the answer will always be no. And finally, if you do not step forward, you will always be in the same place. Until next time, tune into your own full body frequency where large is luscious living. <laughs>